I'm Ben Forrid. I'm Polly Gill. And I'm Alyssa Mendel. And this is Chordscast. Created by the team at the Coordination of Rare Diseases at Sanford, or CORDS for short, which is a rare disease registry working to tie together patients and researchers, no matter their condition and no matter where they are in the world. In these episodes, you'll hear interviews with scientists, physicians, rare disease patients, and advocates, along with updates on our registry and ways that you can get involved. Let's get started. Everybody. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Chords Cast. I'm joined today by Dr. James Brown from um, our friends Aldevron, just a few hundred miles north of us in Fargo, North Dakota. Um, Aldevron is a, um, a manufacturing company that uh, produces DNA, uh, and there's a lot of cool implications for the rare disease community, um, especially when it comes to new involving technologies like gene therapies. And so, um, for this month's episode, we thought it would be really cool to bring in uh, someone from the manufacturing side to talk about some of the um, the hurdles there, both technically and regulatory-wise, but then also just kind of um, pull the curtain back on what is going on in the wings um, when we talk about taking a an understanding of how a disease uh, is, develops and creating some sort of a DNA-driven technology that may be able to provide some therapeutic benefit for that patient population. Um, this is an area that I get a lot of questions from people on uh, and a, an area that everybody talks about. So um, we want to use this platform to kind of, like I said, shine a light on what's going on, uh, maybe in the background of everyone's conversations. So. Um, James, thanks for, for being here today. Really appreciate your time. Um, I'm excited to to hear a bit about um, about what's going on at Aldevron. Can you maybe kick us off with uh, just an introduction to yourself and then um, talk about Aldevron as a company? Sure. Thanks, Ben, and thanks for having me on today. Um, and congratulations um, to you and everyone at Cords for um, the amazing progress you're making in the rare disease space. Um, I've been at been at this for about 10 years and um, you guys are really making a difference so keep it up oh thank you so my name is James Brown I uh, have been with Aldevron for um, going on five years my role is vice president of corporate development and I also serve as chief of staff for our CEO and other senior executives in the company so um, Aldevron started in 1998 uh, by Michael Chambers and John Ballantyne. So Michael and John were both students at NDSU at the time in Fargo. Michael was an undergraduate studying microbiology, chemistry, and biology. And John was a graduate student in the pharmaceutical sciences department. And they got to know each other. And Michael had actually uh, himself had some grants to work on DNA vaccines. So this was a time when the human genome was about to be sequenced in 2000 and a lot of 
interest in using DNA as a therapeutic mm -hmm. modality. Yeah. As a function of that grant, Michael had to figure out how to make DNA, right? Because you need large <laughs> quantities to, to do this type of research. Um, and he partnered with John and they decided to start to offer the production of DNA as a service based on just their conversations and demand that they saw potentially in the market. As the story goes, uh, Michael posted a, a message to a chat board. So this is 1998, right? So the <laughs> internet was very different than it is today. And offered to make DNA for, for anyone, right? That, that needed it through using, you know, bacteria and plasma DNA. And we can talk a little bit more about that um, subsequently. They were both hoping to maybe get a couple of responses and they got 80 emails in their uh, email box the next day. Uh, and the first order that they ever fulfilled was from the University of Puerto Rico. And I'm pretty sure that they are still clients today. Oh, that's awesome. So Michael, you know, <laughs> loves to tell that story. And it's really, it's really um, inspiring. It's a great entrepreneur success story. We've grown now to over 500 employees, you know, they started just in, in, in lab space that they borrowed and begged from professors at the at North Dakota State University and you know, had a small lab, grew to a, a slightly larger lab and then managed to have enough business to lease space, which, which we still have today, uh, and just continue to grow the company over time, both in manufacturing plasma DNA and in other areas like mRNA enzymes like Cas9 for gene editing, and also antibody discovery through a company that they acquired in 2004 in Freiburg, Germany. And then the company in 2009 set up a, an operation for protein production in Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, there was a gentleman there, Tom Fody, who had played basketball at North Dakota State University and worked for a company that was purchased by a larger company and was going to relocate a lot of the staff to California. There was a core set of people there that didn't want to relocate. The timing was right and uh, Aldevron set up operation in, in Madison and, and Tom still runs that part of the business today. Well, that's awesome. Keeping the North Dakota connections alive and well. <laughs> yeah, so we had a celebration of their 10 years, uh, Madison, and um, one of the surprises we did for Tom was, and I don't know these names, but we, we brought back his old basketball coach from North Dakota State. Oh, right on. Players. <laughs> so it was, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, Fargo is in this company's DNA, so to speak, to, to use a pun. Um, so, you know, about myself, prior to coming to Aldevron, um, I worked for Regenix Bio, which is an AV gene therapy company, and got to know uh, Aldevron as a client. And, you know, I can tell you, I was working in the Washington, D.C. area, and when I was looking at different manufacturers for different things, most of them were in Boston, D.C., uh, San Diego, San Francisco. And then I saw this thing from Fargo, North Dakota. I'm like, what the heck? I mean, what, what is going on here? So... Uh, it continues to uh, surprise people a little bit, but the reputation of the company is world-class now. And, you know, on any given week, we have uh, clients visiting us from around the world to audit us, to talk about their projects. That's amazing. Um, and I have seen your facilities, and we are not talking about 
um, stuff that's being run out of the back of a of a biology department in a <clears throat> at a, a small midwestern university. Um, these facilities are absolutely world class, um, and the manufacturing side um, is every every square inch of that facility is intentionally used, and it's a it's it's an impressive sight to behold. Thanks, Ben. You know, as I uh, the other thing is, I look out the window um, where I look at the steel going up for our expansion. So you got to get out here sometime soon. So we, I'm sitting in seventy thousand square feet that we built and opened in um, May of 2018, and our phase two expansion will add a hundred another hundred ninety thousand square feet to our footprint in Fargo. That's a, it's incredible. And when you talk about those square footages for biotech um, and you know building that stuff out, um, the the final bill is a little easier to swallow in Fargo, North Dakota, than it would be in Boston or in San Diego. And <laughs> that's a that's a big part of it. <laughs> yeah, you're 100 percent right, Ben. So we've you know reviewed our spending plans, um, and we publicly announced that this was a uh, with the equipment and everything, the facility I'm in was about a $30 million build, and that would have been easily five times or more in a place like Boston. Oh, that's incredible. Thanks for giving us a little bit of a, a background into the company and to, and to yourself. Let's shift gears a little bit and just talk about um, some of the questions that we get from uh, advocates. So the CORDS registry is, uh, we certainly interact with plenty of patients on a daily basis and help them get enrolled uh, and sharing their data. Um, one of the questions that we get from the advocacy groups that we that we work with is how do you how do you design and create a gene therapy? Uh, it just seems like that's kind of like a wow um, well if 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 my loved one is affected by a disease that at its root is caused by a mutation in their DNA, and there are technologies out there that might be able to fix that. How do, where do you start? How do you, how do you go about doing that? You know, um, I'm sure you guys hear similar questions. You know, what's, what's your answer to that? Sure. I think the way I've seen um, a lot of these therapies be developed is there either already exists or the patient advocates help create an academic research program where the academic researcher, it could be a government lab as well, mm-hmm. typically a nonprofit organization, will work on the disease to identify the gene that, that has that mutation that's causing the disease or the phenotype, as we would say. So you have to understand where that gene is in the, in the human genome, and you have to understand a fair amount of how it presents itself, you know, what is if you can, what is the specific mutation? Some, some genetic defects have one specific mutation. If you take something like sickle cell, it's mm-hmm. one amino acid in the hemoglobin. Others are more complex, and they may have multiple mutations that result in decreased function or the protein not getting uh, transcribed and translated at all. So there are different aspects of the disease that you need to understand. Mm-hmm. And then you basically have to um, do work in the laboratory, the bench scale. And then ideally, you need to develop an animal model of that disease. So if we can create a mouse model, a rabbit model, ideally a non-human primate model, like a monkey, 
of that disease, then it's very, it's much easier to study. Sure. Um, short of that, you really have to do a natural history study on the disease so that you understand how the disease progresses over time. Because what you're going to need to do is show that whatever drug it is you're developing is having a positive benefit for the patient. So you have to really understand that disease. Then ultimately, you want to get to the point where you're designing a clinical trial, right? So you've got some good data, you've got either a good animal model or a natural history study, such that you think that you have something that could be a treatment for this disease. Those treatments can range from the direct injection of something to pulling cells out of the body and doing something to them and putting them back in. It can present in multiple different ways, but any way you look at it, you're trying to reprogram the cells that are producing this defective gene to produce the correct gene. So once you've um, maybe designed that study, and, and typically these are rare diseases, so there's a small number of patients, but you'd like to get as many as you can, you have to manufacture the therapy that you're going to use for the clinical trial. And that's where sort of the real work comes in. Right. It can be expensive and time consuming. Um, we presented at a, uh, or hosted a symposium in November 2018, where we brought um, researchers from all over the world to talk about gene therapy and some of the challenges and some of the successes. And I gave a talk there. And one of the things that I said was, from the time you decide that you want material to do a clinical trial, it's probably going to be two years before you have it in your hands mm -hmm. to do that. Mm -hmm. Now, since then, the capacity's expanded, our capacity expanded, and others as well. So I hope that those timelines are getting better, but I can tell you to be conservative, that's probably what you're looking at. So this can be, you know, daunting and challenging to anyone mm -hmm working on this from the patient advocate to a small company to an academic researcher. Um, so these are some of the things I think that people need to consider when they're thinking about how to approach treating some of these diseases. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, we hear that question and we, we talk with folks a lot about kind of where they are or where their community is on the um, you know, research life cycle or the continuum uh, for research. And I'm really glad that you mentioned natural history studies in there as um, forming the basis of knowledge for how that disease progresses over time. Just having that as a comparative data set is um, paramount. And so, you know, we come at things um, on that very early side of, of the spectrum where we're talking with patient groups that are just just gathering or there maybe they're just coming together um, and building up that research pipeline um, so that they can um, go into some of those other things you were talking about building an animal model um, validating in non-human primates um, and you know getting getting that legwork done it takes a number of years and um, and and it's not cheap either but that's the uh, that's kind of the most well-established route um, to get there so one question that I might have, just from a, a business side of things, now what does what does the industry do to try to minimize the costs of developing new therapies? Certainly. So, 
one of the things that Aldevron has done is try to create a product and a service level for our clients that is appropriate for their stage of development. So probably 10 or so plus years ago, Aldevron with some of its key early clients sat down and thought about the problem of the cost and time that it takes to produce these materials for, uh, for use in clinical trials. So I'll go down a bit of a path of a particular type of gene therapy and all of the gene therapies, yeah, I think that have been approved on or on the market, uh, use some sort of what we call a viral vector. So I'm going to talk specifically about developing viral vectors, but keep in mind that viral vector isn't the only route to, to do a gene therapy. Fair enough. Yep. So with viral vectors, what you're doing is you're taking the virus, which typically is just a package, a protein, maybe some lipids, uh, encasing or encased in that is the DNA of the virus. So the viruses have evolved over many years to do one thing well, deliver their DNA to cells to make more copies of themselves. Mm-hmm. So what gene therapy with viral vectors does is engineer this virus to, instead of delivering the genome of itself to make more copies, we replace the genes inside that package with the sequence of a correct copy of the gene that is defective in the patient. So we leverage the fact that viruses are very good at delivering genetic material to cells and convincing them to make whatever that genetic material says and using that to deliver the proper genes. So the manufacturing of that viral vector is very complex and I would argue is the most complex pharmaceutical product in existence today. Yeah, I'd have to have to agree. (laughs) And, and it's costly and, and not to scare anyone, but the reality is the recently approved Zolgensma by Novartis is $2.1 million per, uh, per dose. You only need one dose, fortunately but it's for a disease called spinal muscular atrophy. It's a terrible disease that most children die by the age of two. And there are now children that have received it in clinical trials that are six years old that are running around and you couldn't tell if they had the disease or not. It's just amazing, yeah. So the process early on when you need to do these trials, and as you pointed out, you know, you're short on time and money, um, There's a manufacturing method called good manufacturing practices, which is regulated by the Food and Drug Administration. So there's GMP usually refers to the quality that the product needs to be when it's injected into the person. So obviously, if you're going to inject something in person, it has to be, you know, very high quality, clean rooms, the whole bit, you know, a lot of control over the process. Right. The agency is been very forward thinking and they have some guidance out for phase one um, manufacturing that is, you know, not as controlled as you would need for a commercial product, but does not in any way sacrifice the safety and efficacy of the product. 
in our case, with what we make of plasma DNA for these uh, gene therapy vectors is a critical raw material. So we need these plasmids to get into a production cell to produce the viral vector. But as you can see from that description, the plasmids are not the final product. Yeah. So what John and Michael and, and some key clients sat down and said, how can we look at um, our manufacturing process to create something new that brings down the cost and time it takes to manufacture the plasmids, yet not s sacrifice at all the safety and efficacy of the plasmid or the final product. So they came up with a service level that we call GMP source, which does just that. Um, the, the control over the process and the level of review of all the documentation is less than GMP, but still appropriate. And the product itself is sterile and goes through all of the same quality control as any other product that would go directly into a human. It's just the process around manufacturing it. We looked and said, what is the what are the most important aspects of this? And let's retain those and maybe um, look at some other opportunities to to move some things out and still have a product. And this really has, I would argue, revolutionized the industry because it cut in half the time and money it costed to produce these plasmids. It allowed it allows small companies to and and academic institutions to really be able to use the service level to make viral vector and get it into patients faster. The FDA has reviewed many of these INDs using this material. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we've we've talked to them, they get it, and it's really presented something that has had I think had a positive impact on the industry. It's been copied by other companies uh, of ours. So it, it's just one area in which we've tried to be innovative and really work closely with our clients to create something that can really enable the field. Yeah, and and you've done an amazing job. I, I it's uh um, like I said, I, I've really enjoyed getting to know all Devron and all of the stuff that you've done. One of the, one of the other things, you know, that I highlight, you know, you've been very effective, um, stewards of the investment that goes into creating, a um, a, a, you know, all of the building blocks that result in that therapy. But, um, one of the really cool things that Aldevron has that, other companies might not is a patient advocate. <laughs> Sharon King is uh, is works with Aldevron um, to bring patients' voice to the process. And you know, you think about GMP manufacturing; it doesn't take you long to paint a picture of a bunch of uh, you know people in in clean pressed white lab coats with clipboards, and then things are very regimented and everything. Um, whereas the reality of living with a rare disease is not regimented, um, and it is often often chaotic and um, and uh, and and has its own anxieties that come and and go with it. And so, um, bringing someone on board like Sharon who can relate and can understand um, has to have been a, a bit of a shakeup for the company. You know, what what was some of the decision making behind? making advocacy something that Aldevron wants to include and um and how has that Im impacted and benefited the company you're 100 percent right ben and, and as you can appreciate and you've met many of the people that work at Aldevron, um 
the company is only as good as its employees. Mm. And, you know, Michael and John's devotion to that and to hiring really great people and really leveraging the work ethic of North Dakota, to be honest, um, has really been, I think, a key to the company's success. One of those early employees uh, is named Michelle Berg. So she was probably the third or fourth employee of the company and worked for the company for, I want to say, probably 12 or 13 years. And she actually left the company when I started about five years ago. And Michelle had a pa- has always had a passion for um, patients, and she worked for a gene therapy company, Abiona, and was their patient ad- patient community advocate. So worked mm-hmm. as vice president in that role. We were fortunate enough uh, about uh, less than a year ago, almost a year ago, to get her back at Aldevron. Uh, she's now president of our GMP nucleic acids business unit. And in addition to her tremendous experience and expertise and just brain power uh, that she brings to the company. And I say that as someone who was a client that worked with her when (laughs) I was buying stuff, right? So so I know both sides of that. Uh, She brought back then with her this other perspective of the patients. And as as, as Aldevron has grown and our number of clients have grown, you know, we've wanted to continue to be close with them and understand what their requirements are. And it's an interesting thing because if you're a company, you're usually working on one drug, maybe two. So you maybe have one or two sort of patient populations you're dealing with. Right. You know, we try to support all of our clients and there are, we have thousands of clients and in the gene and the rare disease space, we have hundreds of clients working on various rare diseases. And I think that, Michelle brought that to us and Michael and John recognized that if we wanted to continue to support the industry that we needed to understand more about how these things evolve and what the patient advocates do and and what our clients are doing, uh, as well as bringing that back to our employees. Because you know, Ben, that what motivates people in this field is the impact that we can have on patients. Absolutely. Everybody knows someone with a rare disease. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're just, you know, I think Nord's statement is, you know, individually we're rare, together we're common or something yeah. like that. I, I don't know what it is, but, <laughs> but you know, there, I think one in 10 Americans uh, suffer from a rare disease. So uh, wanted to bring those stories back. And, and Sharon has just been a phenomenal addition to the company. She understands our role, right? So we're not directly involved with patients. Our clients are. Mm-hmm. So we want to be very respectful of that relationship. Um, yet we want to make sure that we're engaged with the community and the, the bringing those stories back into the company to motivate and inspire our employees. So, you know, I think it's a natural growth of the company that uh, we have this role and it's a really good credit to Michelle and John and Michael about their vision of how, how Devron needs to develop and the things that we need to do to continue to be successful. Yeah. And in, in Sharon, um, Devron has found a, 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 a passionate advocate. I don't think you could find somebody nicer and, and uh, more graceful no, to be in that position. She's great. She's uh She's from North Carolina, so she's got a great Southern drawl that we have to get used to a little bit up here. Um, but she's she's just a delightful person, very smart, very passionate. Um, you know, and, and I think 
you know, willing to work in, in sort of the Aldevron culture. And it's a service culture that she fits naturally in. I've worked with her directly on multiple things. She is willing to do whatever, you know, this is still a small company with an entrepreneurial attitude. And, and, you know, that's not my job is not in our vernacular. Right. Um, so she's been, been super to work with and, and just a tremendous addition to the organization. Oh, that's awesome. Well, one last thing I'll, I'll, I'll bring up, um, Aldevron has a, an event in the, in the fall uh, coming up in 20 fall of 2020. Um, wondering if maybe you could give me the high points on that in case people want to check it out. Certainly appreciate that, Ben. So in November of 2018, we hosted our first scientific meeting that we call the breakthrough symposium. Our, our tagline is the basis for breakthrough. We, again, feel our role is to enable companies and to provide that basis for their breakthrough discoveries and products. So in 2018, we had a great, uh, set of speakers from all over the, all over the United States. Uh, we had Harvard university, some excellent companies from, from Texas, Boston, et cetera, uh, talking about some of the advances that they are making in the area of gene therapy. Um, most of them, we had some sort of business relationship, but not necessarily. It's certainly not limited to that. It's a it's a big field. We want to we want the event to be really focused on the science and not on us. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's a wonderful way to bring a, a diverse group together and talk about uh, the science. In 2018, we had Emily Whitehead's father, Tom Whitehead. So Emily was the first pediatric patient that received. Uh, a therapy that's now called Kimria that's produced by Novartis. And their family created the Emily Whitehead Foundation that raises money and awareness for these uh, novel cancer treatments for uh, for children as well as adults. And Tom has done an outstanding job of building up, Tom and Carrie, his wife, building up that foundation. And Tom gives a very inspiring talk about their journey through this and all of the ups and downs of the whole process. So he was kind enough to, to talk. We had another, a couple other, another patient talk. Uh, Michelle Berg talked when she was in her role at Aviona at that, at that time. So we figure we're going to do this about every two years. And in September 28th to 30th and this fall, we are hosting our second breakthrough symposium. And we're looking at a, a really world-class set of speakers from pharmaceutical companies, Pfizer, Janssen, the United States Pharmacopeia, um, a a researcher, uh, Dr. Stephan Johnston out of ASU that's doing some amazing things in the veterinary space that could lead to treatments for for humans. Um, And we're going to have what we've done in the past, we're going to do this year is the second half of the second day will be open to the public and will be patient stories. So Sharon is working on um, some speakers there that are going to be really excellent and inspiring. So the website is breakthroughsymposium.com, just all all smooshed together in one URL. Uh, but if people just Google Aldevron and Breakthrough Symposium, they'll find it. Um, you can certainly uh, sign up for to attend. Uh, we are offering um, if people contact us for students like North Dakota State and others um, free admission to the scientific talks and uh, there'll be free admission to that second half of that second day. 
Yeah, that's, that's awesome. It's a great excuse to get out to the Dakotas. Um, and uh, fall is a beautiful time to be here. So, <laughs> so uh, I look forward to attending that, and I hope to see some of our listeners there as well. Absolutely, and, and you know, we want to work with uh, you and Sanford to, you know, participate as well, and we're looking forward to partnering with you on on a good chunk of the program. Awesome. <laughs> well, thanks again, James. I really appreciate your time and for uh, sitting down and really just discussing the role Aldebron plays in, um, in developing therapies for rare disease patients. Thanks a lot, Ben. We appreciate it. Um, we're happy to give uh, tours to anyone who wants to come by. We have a lot of job openings, so check out our yeah. career page. <laughs> tell, you, tell all your friends. We, we typically have 30 to 40 jobs open at any given time because we're growing that rapidly. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks again, and uh, we'll see you soon. Thanks. Thanks so much for listening. The theme music for Chordscast is borrowed with permission from Scott Holmes' song, So Happy. To learn more about Sanford Research and our registry, Chords, visit us at sanfordresearch.org chords. We'd love to hear from you. Send us your questions, comments, stories, or feedback to chords at sanfordhealth.org. Find us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at Sanford Chords. The content of Cast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. We'll see you next time on Cast.